Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry once again. We are living in serious times, and our number one focus ought to be on getting ready for persecution and getting ready to meet the Lord. And today we're going to examine some of the things that distract God's people and lead them into apostasy. Oh, how we must maintain our fidelity to God in these last days. Satan is attempting to undermine the faith of God's people in his power and righteousness on every front. And I hope you are making your calling and election sure. I hope you are building your relationship with Jesus and leaving the world behind. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are afraid that we will dishonor our Lord Jesus Christ. We also feel that we're not ready for heaven and not ready for the time of trouble and persecution. So please help us, we pray, to be faithful and loyal. As we study today, may we have insights that will help us as we live in this wicked world. Join us as we study, please, and please reveal to us your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 12, 37 and 38. Notice who is with the Israelites. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds and very much cattle. The words with them indicate these people were not of them, and therefore were not Israelites. Who were these people? Apparently there were many strangers that comprised this mixed multitude. But why did they join the movement? Listen to Patriarchs and Prophets, page 281. In this multitude were not only those who were actuated by faith in the God of Israel, but also a far greater number who desired only to escape from the plagues, or who followed in the wake of the moving multitudes merely from excitement or curiosity. This class were ever a hindrance and a snare to Israel. No doubt many Egyptians were among them and others of a mixture of Hemetic and Semitic tribes and races, which was a result of intermarriage. And with a few exceptions, this multitude were controlled by selfish motives because of the terrible judgments of God laid waste the land of Egypt. They thought it was safer to cast their lot in with the Israelites. Some were willing to leave their country and seek their fortune, as we say, with the Israelites. 
Some left out of curiosity to see the solemnities of Israel's sacrifice to their God, which had been so much talked about. They expected to see some glorious appearances of their God to them in the wilderness. No doubt they had heard the glowing accounts of the promised land as a country flowing with milk and honey, which was the glory of all lands. So they wanted a share with the Israelites in the inheritance of Canaan and inhabit the cities already built and eat the fruit of the vineyards and orchards already planted. So they came with their selfish motives. It was this mixed multitude that was a constant trouble to Israel all the way to the borders of the promised land. They were the authors of most of the apostasies and rebellions that had delayed the entrance of Israel into the promised land 40 years. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 408, puts it this way. The mixed multitude that came up with the Israelites from Egypt were a source of continual temptation and trouble. They professed to have renounced idolatry and to worship the true God, but their early education and training had molded their habits and character, and they were more or less corrupted with idolatry and with irreverence for God. They were oftenest the ones to stir up strife and were the first to complain. They leavened the camp with their idolatrous practices and their murmurings against God. They were also chronic complainers, and nothing suited them. They often led the people into rebellion. Moses was God's divinely appointed leader, and his character was very godly and meek. I wish we could have the same today for all our leaders. But instead, we often have a political field that carries on an evil spirit into the church. This mixed multitude led Israel in criticizing Moses' management of the great multitude of people, and they lacked faith in God and his word. This played on the weak faith of the Israelites, and they joined them in rebellion. Let's see what Patriarchs and Prophets says on page 377. After three days' journey, the open complaints were heard. These originated with the mixed multitude, many of whom were not fully united with Israel and were continually watching for some cause of censure. The complainers were not pleased with the direction of the march, and they were continually finding fault with the way in which Moses was leading them, though they well knew that he, as well as they, was following the guiding cloud. Dissatisfaction is contagious, and it soon spread to the encampment. The first great apostasy of the Exodus movement was at Mount Sinai, and it was led by the mixed multitude. It occurred while Moses was up in the mountain. 
Let us listen again to Patriarchs and Prophets, page 315 and 316. While Moses was absent, it was a time of waiting and suspense to Israel. During this period of waiting, there was time for them to meditate upon the law of God, which they had heard, and to prepare their hearts to receive further revelations that he might make to them. They had none too much time for this work, and had they been thus seeking a clear understanding of God's requirements and humbling their hearts before him, they would have been shielded from temptation. But they did not do this, and they soon became careless, inattentive, and lawless. Especially was this the case with the mixed multitude. They were impatient to be on their way to the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. There were some who suggested a return to Egypt, but whether forward to Canaan or backward to Egypt, the masses of people were determined to wait no longer for Moses. Feeling their helplessness in the absence of their leader, they returned to their old superstitions. The mixed multitude had been the first to indulge in murmuring and impatience, and they were the leaders in the apostasy that followed. The mixed multitude also complained about the health reform principles that the Lord had given to the Exodus movement. They lusted for the diet they had in Egypt. They reminded the Israelites of what they had to eat while in Egypt, and this influenced them to begin to complain of the food God had given them, namely the manna. Let us read it first from Scripture. Turn to Numbers 11, 4-6 and 10. The mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. Here it is from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 377. Again they began to clamor for flesh to eat. Though abundantly supplied with manna, they were not satisfied. The Israelites during their bondage in Egypt, had been compelled to subsist on the plainest and simplest food. But then keen appetite induced by privation and hard labor had made it palatable. Many of the Egyptians, however, who were now among them, had been accustomed to a luxurious diet, and these were the first to complain. This was an offense to God and was very serious. God has given us a healthful diet today, 
But many of God's people still want the flesh pots of Egypt. They want their fish, their chicken, and even their red meat, and also all kinds of convictions. They are, at best, half-converted. Today, modern Israel faces the same temptations and dangers and therefore is cursed with a mixed multitude. Who are they? They are the murmurers, complainers, critics, idolaters, fornicators, and the worldly element who are always lusting for the things of the world and the flesh pots of Babylon. They are the unconverted and the half-converted who have the theory of the truth without the experience of righteousness. They are Babylonians, or at best, only half-Christian and half-worldly. This worldly element is always seeking to bring the church worldly pleasures, and some leaders catch this spirit and try to bring in worldly policies that support the lusts of the mixed multitude. It seems impossible for them to distinguish between right and wrong, between what is proper and improper for a Christian. Their spirituality is at a very low ebb, and they are constantly lowering the standard of Christianity. The mixed multitude is alive and well today, and they don't adhere carefully and faithfully to the Ten Commandments or God's instructions through the spirit of prophecy. They simply don't do the will of God. They influence God's people to relax the standards and principles that heaven has given to the remnant. They are a menace to the genuine Christian that wants to do the right. They criticize and complain that they are too restrictive. They don't believe the pillars of the message, but they try to minimize them and ignore them. They want to go along with the evangelicals, and they preach a similar message, saying nothing distinctive in their sermons. They don't believe what the prophet says, and they won't countenance the use of the spirit of prophecy in the pulpit. They despise last-generation theology and mischaracterize it as legalism. They have kept the Advent movement wandering in the wilderness of sin. They have kept back the blessings of the early and the latter rain and have delayed the coming of Christ as the mixed multitude delayed entrance into Canaan in the wilderness. They press for the political movements in the world to be adopted in the church, like wokeism, women's ordination, LGBTQ plus tolerance, abortion, and other liberal schemes that God has condemned in his word. They are those who have committed abominations in the church over which the faithful are sighing and crying. They are the foolish virgins and the evil servants who say in their hearts, My Lord delayeth his coming. They have become careless and worldly. They are a menace to the progress of the movement and should be kept on the outskirts of the camp, but instead many of them are now in leadership and in control of the church. 
and their spirit has captured many members who are clamoring for more of the same. They are a great mixture of strangers in Zion, and they cause the faithful great distress. This worldly element is not small. It constitutes a multitude. Half of the ten virgins representing the remnant people are of this foolish class. Listen to this from the Testimonies to the Church, Volume 5, page 218. And what has caused this alarming condition? Many have accepted the theory of the truth who have had no true conversion. And now they're pushing lies from the father of lies. Here is a statement from a view and herald, August 13, 1889. I have been shown that there must be awakening among the people of God. Many are unconverted whose names are on the church books. But many of them are disguised and appear as though they are faithful. Consider this short statement from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 5, page 136. Soon God's people will be tested by fiery trials, and the great proportion of those who now appear to be genuine and true will prove to be base metal. And the last statement in, in this series is from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 5, page 81. When trees without fruit are cut down as cumberers of the ground, when multitudes of false brethren are distinguished from the true, then the hidden ones, who have been faithful to the truth, will be revealed to view, and with hosannas range under the banner of Christ. Why do these unconverted people join the remnant movement? Why do they stay in it and even try to control it? Like the ancient typical people, it is because they were once convinced of the theory of the truth of the three angels' messages and hoped to sweep into the kingdom with it and thus partake of the benefits and privileges of the inheritance of the saints in light. They have been thrilled with the descriptions of the heavenly Canaan and want to share in its joys and glories, but they have no real experience with Jesus. They have also heard of the coming of the seven last plagues and are anxious to escape them. They are controlled by selfish motives, and while they are in the movement, their hearts and interests are centered in the world or in Egypt. They are the antitype of the mixed multitude of Israel. During the Exodus and the subsequent wandering in the wilderness, this mixed multitude was purged out of the camp of Israel. There was a shaking. The Lord cleansed the movement by shaking out the rebels. Not one of the rebels were permitted to enter Canaan. Here it is from Numbers 14, 22 through 24. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. 
neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Many of the mixed multitude were shaken out gradually along the way to Canaan. The final purge of all these rebels and mixed multitude who were unconverted came at Baal Peor on the banks of the Jordan when 24,000 of the mixed multitude and many of Israel were eliminated. Likewise, the remnant of God will be cleansed and purified in a similar way. The mixed multitude will be shaken out of the message. Many already have been, but there are still those that are among God's people and even among the leadership that are under satanic deception. They deceive themselves and wrongly think that they are doing God's work. Again, let us read from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 5, page 707. God will arouse his people. And if other means fail, heresies will come in among them, which will sift them, separating the chaff from the wheat. But the shaking will take multiple forms. The preaching of the straight testimony is one of the forms that takes out a lot of people from their professed allegiance to Christ. Heresies will take out a lot more of them, and persecution will take out the rest of them. Those who cannot stand to be reproached for Christ's sake will find some reason to leave the fellowship of his people. Listen to this from Early Ruddings, page 270. I asked the meaning of the shaking. I had seen and was shown that it would be caused by the straight testimony called forth by the counsel of the true witness to the Laodiceans. This will have its effect upon the heart of the receiver and will lead him to exalt the standard and pour forth the straight truth. Some will not bear this testimony. They will rise up against it. And this is what will cause the shaking among God's people. But the shaking has other aspects too. Not only is it about the straight testimony, but it is also about taking a stand. You can't take a stand if you don't accept the truth. You can't take a stand if you are confused about the issues in the great controversy. This is from Early Writings, page 50. The money shaking has commenced and will go on, and all will be shaken out who are not willing to take a bold and unyielding stand for the truth and to sacrifice for God and his cause. The angel said, Think ye that any will be compelled to sacrifice? No, no. It must be a free will offering. It will take all to buy the field. I cried to God to spare his people, some of whom were fainting and dying. Then I saw that the judgments of the Almighty were speedily coming, and I begged of the angel to speak in his language to the people. He said, 
all the thunders and lightnings of Mount Sinai would not move those who will not be moved by the plain truths of the word of God. Neither would an angel's message awake them. Only the faithful and loyal, who, like Joshua and Caleb, had another spirit in them and wholly followed the Lord, will enter the heavenly Canaan. Revelation 22.14 makes it clear. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they might have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. But a more explicit definition of those who will not be there is in verse 15. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. This suggests that those who are hypocrites and pretend to be believers are going to be shaken out because they are living a lie. This verse goes on. This verse goes with Ephesians 5.5, 5, which expands this list dramatically. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. There is still another statement in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 186 and 187. Those that come up to every point and stand every test and overcome, be the price what it may, have heeded the counsel of the true witness, and they will receive the latter rain and thus be fitted for translation. But there is much more in that statement that reveals the love of God. He does not expect them to just arrive all at once, but he develops them with practice in surrendering themselves to God. He leads them to a deeper experience and a purer character step by step. Listen. God leads his people on step by step. He brings them up to different points calculated to manifest what is in the heart. Some endure at one point, but fall off at the next. At every advanced point, the heart is tested and tried a little closer. If the professed people of God find their hearts opposed to this straight work, it should convince them that they have a work to do to overcome if they would not be spewed out of the mouth of the Lord. Said the angel, God will bring his work closer and closer to test and prove every one of his people. Some are willing to receive one point, but when God brings them to another testing point, they shrink from it and stand back because they find it that it strikes directly at some cherished idol. Here they have opportunity to see what is in their hearts that shuts out Jesus. They prize something higher than the truth, and their hearts are not prepared to receive Jesus. Individuals are tested and proved a length of time to see if they will sacrifice their idols and heed the counsel of the true witness. If any will not be purified through obeying the truth, and overcome their selfishness, 
their pride and evil passions, the angels of God have the charge. They are joined to their idols, let them alone. And they pass on to their work, leaving these with their sinful traits unsubdued to the control of evil angels. The work of refining the character in the soul of man into the likeness of Christ is a large work, but it is a precious work, and it is also an impressive work. Here is a statement from Letters and Manuscripts, Letter 55, 1901. God rebukes his people for their sins, that he may humble them and lead them to seek his face. Then as they reform and his love revives their hearts, his gracious answers come to their requests. He will strengthen them in reformatory action and lift up for them a standard against the enemy. His blessings rest upon them, and in bright rays the light of heaven shines from them. Then a multitude, not of our faith, seeing that God is with his people, will unite with them. In God's presence and power, his people are safe. Ancient Israel was led by the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. This was the outward visible sign of the divine leadership of the Exodus movement. It hovered over the camp when they rested and went before them when they marched. Israel kept their eyes on the cloudy pillar and it indicated when they should march and in which way they should go. The cloudy pillar shrouded Christ from view, but he was the one that was there with Israel all the way. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all your fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did drink all the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them was Christ. It was Christ who led and preserved the Exodus movement, and the pillar was the visible sign of his presence and leadership. It was Christ who furnished Israel with both physical and spiritual food, who gave the law and all the instructions concerning the sanctuary and its services. Christ is likewise the leader of modern Israel in the remnant church, those who sin in this movement are tempting Christ, the leader. God's remnant people are likewise guided and protected by a pillar of cloud and fire or light. Let's look at Isaiah 4, 5, and 6. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of the flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense, and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat, and for a place of refuge, and for a covert from the storm and from rain. 
This is a promise for today's church, just as it was for the ancient Israelite church. Let's read from Early Writings, page 43. I saw a covering that God was drawing over his people to protect them in the time of trouble. And every soul that was decided upon the truth and was pure in heart was to be covered with the covering of the Almighty. Jesus is the light that guides and the covering and shield that protects God's people on their journey to the heavenly Canaan, just as he was for ancient Israel. The visible or the outward sign that modern Israel is under divine leadership is their obedience to the law and the scriptures. Isaiah 8.20 is a familiar verse to every one of us, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And the Apostle John puts emphasis on this point in 1 John 2, 3 and 4. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The seventh-day Sabbath is the seal of of the law and the mark of loyalty to the true God and is a sign of sanctification. Let's read it from Ezekiel 20, verse 12 and 20. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them and hallow my Sabbaths and they shall be a sign between me and you, that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. There is a great similarity between our history and that of the children of Israel. God led his people from Egypt into the wilderness, where they could keep his law and obey his voice. So at this time there is a people whom God has made the depositories of his law, to those who obey them, the commandments of God are as a pillar of fire, lighting and leading the way to eternal salvation. That's from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 4, page 272. And this statement from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 504, is probably the clearest one that tells us that Christ leads us through his word. Every chapter and every verse of the Bible is a communication from God to man. If studied and obeyed, it would lead God's people as the Israelites were led by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. But God also gave his church, both ancient and modern, a human agent to bless them and to assist them in their journey. The ancient church was led and preserved by Christ through the human in instrumentality of Moses, his prophet and spokesman. Moses was also assisted by Aaron and Miriam. The movement would have gone to pieces on many different occasions had it not been for the spirit of prophecy that held it together. 
Without this divine gift, the Israelites never would have left Egypt. And after leaving Egypt, they would have never reached Canaan, but would have returned to Egyptian bondage. Abraham and Isaac had the gift of prophecy, but this gift was withdrawn at the time Israel was in bondage and darkness because they had forgotten God and his law. Moses is a type of the prophet that God has given to the remnant church. He led the people of Israel to the borders of the promised land. Moses, the prophet of the Exodus movement, died a short time before Israel entered Canaan. Before his death, Moses was given a vision of the promised land, including the new earth. It's found in Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 4. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, that is, over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead, unto Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, to the utmost sea, and the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, unto Zor. And the Lord said unto him, And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. Listen to this description of the same event in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 472. And now the panoramic view of the land of promise was presented to him. Every part of the country was spread out before him, not faint and uncertain in the dim distance, but standing out clear and distinct and beautiful to his delighted vision. In this scene it was presented not as it then appeared, but as it would become, with God's blessing upon it, in the possession of Israel. He seemed to be looking upon a second Eden. Moses was shown the history of the world and of God's people right down to the close of time, including the deliverance of the antitypical children of Israel, the modern remnant church. What a privilege! Then to his view, another scene made its way. It's found in the same book, page 477. Still another scene opens to his view. The earth freed from the curse, lovelier than the fair land of promise, so lately spread out before him. There is no sin, and death cannot enter. There the nations of the saved find their eternal home, with joy unutterable, Moses looks upon the scene. The fulfillment of a more glorious deliverance than his brightest hopes have ever pictured. Their earthly wanderings forever past, the Israel of God have at last entered the goodly land. It's very interesting that the remnant church is also blessed by God to have a prophet. 
Whenever a major development in the history of salvation comes to pass, the church needs special guidance to navigate the difficulties and unique circumstances of the times. So God has sent them one who can help them with counsel and guidance for these exceptional times. If they follow that counsel, they will be protected and guided to the promised land. They will also be elevated to the notice of the world like ancient Israel was. No prophet is ever accepted by all members of the movement to whom they ministered. There are always some who, for one reason or another, are not willing to heed their advice and counsel, and they criticize and complain about that prophet. The great prophet Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and so were all the other prophets, including the prophet to the remnant. The bestowing of the gift of prophecy or any of the other spiritual gifts does not ensure perfection. A prophet like an apostle, pastor, teacher, or evangelist must develop character in the same way as the humblest member of the church. Having a gift of the Spirit does not ensure protection or victory over sin. It does add to one's responsibility to live a careful Christian life. So we must learn to take our eyes off the weak human instrument and fix them upon the divine gift that has been given. The human instrument was subject to the mistakes and frailties of human flesh, but the gift itself is divine and is therefore infallible. Let me read from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 364. If man had kept the law of God as given to Adam after his fall, preserved by Noah and observed by Abraham, there would have been no necessity for the ordinance of circumcision. If all the descendants of Abraham had kept the covenant of which circumcision was a sign, they would never have been seduced into idolatry, nor would it have been necessary for them to suffer a life of bondage in Egypt. They would have kept God's law in mind, and there would have been no necessity for it to be proclaimed from Sinai or engraved upon the tables of stone. And had the people practiced the principles of the Ten Commandments, there would have been no need of the additional directions given to Moses. What this is saying is that most of the instruction to ancient Israel through the gift of prophecy would have been unnecessary if they would have faithfully obeyed the law and the instructions previously given. God would have given them understanding of the times and of righteousness so that the instructions wouldn't be necessary. The same is true today. The spirit of prophecy among God's remnant people does not reveal additional light, but calls us back to the neglected scriptures. Listen to this from Life Sketches, page 198 and 199. If you had made God's word your study, with the desire to reach 
the Bible standard and attained to Christian perfection, you would not have needed the testimonies. It is because you have neglected to acquaint yourselves with God's inspired word that he has sought to reach you by simple, direct testimonies calling your attention to the words of inspiration which you had neglected to obey and urging you to fashion your lives in accordance with his pure and elevated teachings. The written testimonies are not to give new light, but to impress vividly upon the heart the truths of inspiration already revealed. Man's duty to God and to his fellow man has been distinctly specified in God's word. Yet but few of you are obedient to the light given. Additional truth is not brought out, but God through the testimonies simplified the great truths already given and in his own chosen way brought them before the people to awaken and impress the mind with them, that all may be left without an excuse. And listen to this statement from the same book, page 200 and 201. I referred them to ancient Israel. God gave them his law, but they would not obey it. He then gave them ceremonies and ordinances that in the performance of these, God might be kept in remembrance. They were so prone to forget him and his claims upon them that it was necessary to keep their minds stirred up to realize their obligations to obey and honor their creator. Had they been obedient and loved to keep God's commandments, the multitude of the ceremonies and ordinances would not have been required. If the people who now profess to be God's peculiar treasure would obey his requirements as specified in his word, special testimonies would not be given to awaken them to their duty and to impress upon them their sinfulness and their fearful danger in neglecting to obey the word of God. Consciences have been blunted because light has been set aside, neglected, and despised. Listen to this statement from Review and Herald, November 5, 1889. When Christ came into the world, his own nation rejected him. He brought from heaven the message of salvation, hope, freedom, and peace, but men would not accept his good tidings. Christians have c condemned the Jewish nation for rejecting the Savior, but many who profess to be followers of Christ are doing even worse than did the Jews, for they are rejecting greater light in despising the truth for this time. Friends, don't turn your back on God's principles. Learn to live by them. Learn to love them. It's the best way to have a happy life and secure a future in the heavenly Canaan. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we see that the mixed multitude is with us today just as it was in the days of ancient Israel. We ask that you will show us 
how to avoid being part of that number. And we ask you to cleanse the church of these unfaithful, hypocritical members. But Lord, show mercy, and we pray, to those who can still be impressed with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this message that we have received, and please apply it to our hearts also. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is called Day by Day, played by Henry Higgins. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Day by Day. If you would like a copy of the CD, just send $16 postpaid and we will gladly send you one. International listeners should send $20 USD. Be sure and mention the Day by Day CD. The following is our prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in the light of prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis and the coming of the Lord. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, May unity among the churches become the breath of humanity. The week of prayer for Christian unity was also celebrated in Ragusa. The appointment was felt and participated and represented an opportunity for spiritual growth and fraternity between churches of different denominations. Two community moments took place both in Vitoria, the first on January 19, in the church Anime Sante de Purgatorio, the second on January 23rd, in the Pentecostal Christian Church Gospel Forum. The two initiatives were promoted by seven Christian churches, the Catholic Church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the Lutheran Evangelical Community of Sicily, the Romanian Orthodox Church, Santa Melania Parish, the Pentecostal Christian Church of Santa Croce Camerina, the Scogliti New Creation Pentecostal Christian Church, and the Gospel Forum Pentecostal Christian Church in Vitoria. The Bishop of Ragusa, Giuseppe La Placa, the Adventist pastor, Daniele Pasarreta, Father Nikolai Circos of the Orthodox Church, Gisela Salomon of the Lutheran Church, the Pastor Giuseppe Micheli, the Pastor Giuseppe Decorato, the Pastor Giovanna Stallone took part. This year's theme, Learn to Do Good, Seek Justice, taken from the book of Isaiah, was chosen and prepared by the Council of Christian Churches of Minnesota. United States of America, and the World Council of Churches. Migrants and victims of racism also participated in the preparation of the topics. Minnesota, in fact, has experienced racial discrimination. In 1862, it was the scene of the great mass execution of 38 Dakota indigenous people. In March 2021, a Minneapolis police officer killed the young African-American George Floyd sparking protest and demonstrations of disapproval and protest across the country. Victoria's two appointments were an opportunity for siblings to share. The reflections in the two churches were proposed by the Bishop Monsignor La Placa, by the Adventist pastor Daniele Pasarreta, by the assistant Pentecostal pastor Mario Basalto, by the priest Don Salvatore Converso. The Archbishop La Placa said, quote, in the end, God will ask us if we have succeeded in loving, in realizing God's dream, the dream of unity. Tonight I ask 
that unity between the churches become the breath of humanity. Daniele Pasareta said if we want to build something, we have to demolish the barriers, build with peace. It is Jesus who gives solidity to our project to realize Christ's plan that all may be one. Mario Basoto invited us to open our hearts to the spirit that spreads joy in our hearts and make us live as brothers. Don Salvatore Converso compared the unity between the different churches to the work of a musical orchestra where different instruments, they each perform melodies that make up a single harmony, harmonies that captivate the heart. Pastor Giovanna Stallone concluded, we are different, not divided. Of great impact was the testimony of Sister Cristina Budao Rosu of the Carmelite Missionary Sisters. Since the 3rd of January, 2022, the nuns have been present in Marina di Acate, in the heart of the transformed area, where thousands of immigrants who work in greenhouses live, sometimes in conditions of serious housing and social hardship. Sister Cristina recounted the experience of a gospel lived alongside the least, migrants and especially children. Her words gave substance to the theme of the week of prayer, learn to do good, seek justice, and to the proposal of Minnesota Christians to seek justice, help the oppressed and the least, the poorest. What is an SDA pastor doing at this gathering? Quote, we have been looking many years for a Sunday law to be enacted in our land, and now that the movement is right upon us, we ask, will our people do their duty in the matter? Can we not assist in lifting the standard and in calling to the front those who have a regard for their religious rights and privileges? The time is fast approaching when those who choose to obey God rather than man will be made to feel the hand of oppression. Shall we then dishonor God by keeping silent while His holy commandments are trodden underfoot? While the Protestant world is by her attitude making concessions to Rome, let us arouse to comprehend the situation and view the contest before us in its true bearings. While the Protestant world is by her attitude making concessions to Rome, let us arouse to comprehend the situation and view the contest before us in its true bearings. Let the watchmen now lift up their voice and give the message which is present truth for this time. Let us show people where we are in prophetic history and seek to arouse the spirit of true Protestantism, awakening the world to a sense of the value of the privileges of religious liberty so long enjoyed. Testimonies to the Church, Volume 5, page 716. Next, Church allegedly vandalized with Molotov cocktails ahead of hosting Drag Queen Story Hour. A church was vandalized with Molotov cocktails Friday ahead of the church hosting a drag brunch and story hour, WJW reported. Quote, Despite the minimal damage, the church is taking extraordinary security precautions ahead of the planned protest scheduled for April 1, and services will resume as scheduled, a person representing Ohio's Community Church of Chesterland said in a statement acquired by WJW. Controversy over the planned show erupted after a Chardon, Ohio restaurant called Element 41 partnered with the church to hold the drag brunch. WKYC reported, quote, They're calling us pedophiles and it's getting really crazy where I have to turn my phone off at night. Element 41 owner 
Paul Mandelera previously told the outlet, quote, It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Luke 17, 28-30 Next, paganism is on the rise. Here's where to discover its traditions. Centuries ago, ancient Celts traveled windy moors to worship the horned god Cernanus. Ancient Egyptians crossed the deserts to invoke the protection of Isis. Druids journeyed to a forest clearing to perform rituals under the moon. But over time, such deities faded into myth. The rituals went underground. Recently, however, a resurgence of interest in pagan practices, crystals and tarot cards, astrology and herbal magic has brought paganism from the fringes back to the center of pop culture or at least to the top of your TikTok feed. At least 1.5 million people in the United States identify as pagans, up from 134,000 in 2001. They range from Wiccans and Kemetics to Titak witches and heathens. Quote, there is in general a move away from organized religions and towards spirituality, says Helen Berger, an author and sociologist of contemporary paganism and witchcraft. Female empowerment and gay rights movements, the climate crisis, and a desire for a more life-affirming religion have fueled interest in the growing spiritual community, she adds. From spellcasting in Salem, Massachusetts, to full moon rituals in Asheville, North Carolina, to transcending the metaphysical plane in Sedona, Arizona, here's how to immerse yourself in the cultural traditions of pagan communities. Quote, it's very difficult to sum up what paganism is, since there is so much diversity, says Sarah Pike, author and professor of comparative religion at California State University, Chico. Pagans view the natural world as sacred. They celebrate the interconnectedness of all things, seeing humans, nature, and spiritual beings as part of a web of life. After centuries of persecution, Paganism remained mainly a fringe practice until the 1960s. It became an attractive religion to follow for those rebelling against restrictive social norms. In the past decade, the rise of TikTok witch talk has more than 35 billion views and popular TV shows like The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Vikings, Supernatural, and American Horror Story, Coven, are helping drive increased interest in the spiritual movement. Where to experience pagan culture? Attending a ritual event is one way to learn about pagan practices. Samhain, celebrated from the evening of October 31 into November 1, marks the end of harvest season and the start of winter. In Salem, pagans observe the holiday with festivals, dancing, nature walks, and honoring their ancestors. Visitors can attend the official Salem Witches Halloween Ball to witness ceremonial dances, spellcasting, and other rituals. Travelers can visit Mother Grove Goddess Temple near downtown Asheville to join in public rituals during the ancient Holy Days and Earth Day and participate in full moon ceremonies. 
during other key pagan holidays like Yule, winter solstice, Ostara, spring equinox, and Litha, midsummer solstice, Salem's witch house, the only standing structure in town with direct ties to the Salem witch trials of 1692, offers live demonstrations and activities that teach about pagan traditions. Dearman says people curious about paganism should search for ways to experience the culture firsthand and be ready to learn. Tourists flock to meet us to see if what we write in our books is really true, she says. They get to see that we live what we write and are inspired by it. Quote, it is fondly supposed that heathen superstitions have disappeared before the civilization of the 20th century. But the word of God and the stern testimony of facts declare that sorcery is practiced in this age as verily as in the days of the old-time magicians. The ancient system of magic is in reality the same as what is now known as modern spiritualism. Satan is finding access to thousands of minds by presenting himself under the guise of departed friends. The scriptures declare that the dead know not anything, Ecclesiastes 9.5. Their thoughts, their love, their hatred have perished. The dead do not hold communion with the living. But true to his early cunning, Satan employs this device in order to gain control of minds. The Acts of the Apostles, page 289. Next, Pope Anglican Presbyterian leaders denounce anti-gay laws. Pope Francis, the head of the Anglican Communion and top Presbyterian minister, together denounced the criminalization of homosexuality on Sunday and said gay people should be welcomed by their churches. The three Christian leaders spoke out on LGBTQ rights during an unprecedented joint airborne news conference returning home from South Sudan, where they took part in a three-day ecumenical pilgrimage to try to nudge the young country's peace process forward. They were asked about Francis' recent comments to the Associated Press in which he declared that laws that criminalize gay people were unjust and that being homosexual is not a crime. South Sudan is one of 67 countries that criminalize homosexuality, 11 of them with the death penalty. LGBTQ advocates say even where such laws are not applied, they contribute to a climate of harassment, discrimination, and violence. Francis referred his January 24 comments to the AP and repeated that such laws are unjust. He also repeated previous comments that parents should never throw their gay children out of the house. Quote, to condemn someone like this is a sin, he said. Criminalizing people with homosexual tendencies is an injustice. People with homosexual tendencies are children of God. God loves them. God accompanies them, he added. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, recalled that LGBTQ rights were very much on the current agenda of the Church of England and said he would quote the Pope's own words when the issue is discussed at the Church's upcoming General Synod. Quote, I wish I had spoken as eloquently and as clearly as the Pope. I entirely agree with every word he said, Welby said. Recently, the Church of England 
decided to allow blessings for same-sex civil marriages, but said same-sex couples could not marry in its churches. The Vatican forbids both gay marriage and blessings for same-sex unions. Welby told reporters that the issue of criminalization had been taken up at two previous Lambeth conferences of the broader Anglican Communion, which includes churches in Africa and the Middle East, where such anti-gay laws are most common and often enjoy support by conservative bishops. The broader Lambeth Conference has come out twice opposing criminalization, but it has not really changed many people's minds, Welby said. The Right Reverend Ian Greenshields, the Presbyterian moderator of the Church of Scotland, who also participated in the pilgrimage and news conference, offered an observation. Quote, There is nowhere in my reading of the four Gospels where I see Jesus turning anyone away, he said. There is nowhere in the four Gospels where I see anything other than Jesus expressing love to whomever he meets. And as Christians, that is the only expression that we can possibly give to any human being in any circumstance. The Church of Scotland allows same-sex marriages. Catholic teaching holds that gay people must be treated with dignity and respect, but that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. Quote, We are on the very verge of the time of trouble, and perplexities that are scarcely dreamed of are before us. A power from beneath is leading men to war against heaven. Human beings have confederated with satanic agencies to make void the law of God. The inhabitants of the world are fast becoming as the inhabitants of the world in Noah's day, who were swept away by the flood, and as the inhabitants of Sodom, who were consumed by fire from heaven. The powers of Satan are at work to keep minds diverted from eternal realities. The enemy has arranged matters to suit his own purposes. Worldly business, sports, the fashions of the day, these things occupy the minds of men and women. Amusements and unprofitable reading spoil the judgment. In the broad road that leads to eternal ruin, there walks a long procession. The world filled with violence, reveling, and drunkenness is converting the church. The law of God the divine standard of righteousness is declared to be of no effect. Councils for the Church, page 64. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support, and until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.